Good morning, everyone. Good to have you today. If you're visiting with us for the first time and haven't gotten one of our welcome bags, please do that in the narthex before you leave today. I want to welcome uh, Marion and Miss Ginger. There, she's hiding back there. Thank the Lord and His sovereignty. He had them coming through town and could help us out this morning in sharing God's word uh, with us. Uh, also, if you're on the inside aisles for our books of friendship or friendship registers, if you wouldn't mind just filling those out. Can you all hear me okay? Or? No. No? Do I need to speak up a little more? I'm so soft-voiced, you know. <clears throat> uh, the friendship registers, if you have that, is that any better? Um, there we go. I found my voice. Uh, just send that down. If, um, if, as, you, as it comes back, see who's there in the row with you so you can welcome them a little bit later. You'll see a, uh, an announcement in the um, bulletin about the Sheds of Hope that Dick had shared with us uh, about before, so please make note of that. Uh, you'll notice also the um, parking lot will be was delayed because of the weather. That'll be taking place this coming week, this Tuesday, so be mindful of that. Also the tea time with Evie and just continue to pray for uh, Jeff and Evie. Uh, spoke briefly with Jeff, I was on a timer. I couldn't talk more than five minutes with him or he'd start, start kind of getting a little breathless. So just pray for him. Um, they're hanging in there. So uh, you'll notice also several other things there in the bulletin that uh, what God's doing in our midst. So please uh, be mindful of that. Be praying for our church. And again, great to have you here. Let's uh, turn our focus to the Lord in his worship.
Boy, I've missed that music. You know, Ginger and I have been to about three or four churches, and, and they're all nice churches, but we have, we have not had, had this, so that's so nice. Um, let me just say words uh, to those, again, who are visiting. I'm Marion Clark, previous pastor of the church. There's my wife, Ginger, who's sitting right there in the middle. Say hello. And um, uh, I retired two months ago, uh, drove off, and uh, we drove to Philadelphia, drove to Texas. Um, and middle, at the beginning of July, we drove back to Philadelphia, up to Maine. Now we're down here, loading up our stuff and going back to Texas. We put on about 8,000 miles all together, literally, after all of that driving. So um, we had planned to be here uh, to worship and um, so it's a delight to be able to be here. I, I do want to encourage you, I mean, as Russell said, I'm sure you're already praying uh, for your pastor, Jeff uh, Birch. Just as a pastor, let, let me say, besides just the inconvenience of being sick, there is nothing, nothing more frustrating for a pastor, and particularly a new pastor to his congregation, not to be here to, to pastor his people. And particularly to have that little problem which you're, you don't, you feel like you're almost ready and then you start to cough and you just can't do it. When I was here in a year, I remember that happened to me only for one week. I was, I was, I preached on Palm Sunday, but I couldn't do Monday, Thursday. I couldn't do Good Friday. In fact, Jim Hildebrand and and, um, Russ Murray filled in for me. And it was just so Frustrating. So pray for not only for his healing, but just for his own inner spirit. He wants to be pastoring you, and uh, so pray that he'll soon be able uh, to do that. Now, our uh, preparation for our worship, let me read to you from Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And we come to you, O God, our great King, who sits enthroned over the flood, uh, all the chaos that there may be of this world, who sits over the universe as our rightful King. And we look to you that as we come to you for worship to give us uh, your strength, to give us your peace, that we may rest in Jesus Christ and and honor you through our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shout to the Lord.
The confession of faith is the um, description of Romans 5, 1 to 2, 6 through 11, in the, um, the, pray, uh, the opening scripture and the, the scripture chosen here, all chosen here for that uh, theme of peace. So particularly pay attention to that as we read it together. Let us confess our faith through Romans. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's stand again and sing together how sweet the name of Jesus sounds.
seated. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do give you praise again as the one who sits upon your throne in heaven over all of your creation. You are the Lord God. You are the great king, the ruler over all that you have created. We give you praise for your mystery that you are God the Father, that you are God the Son, that you are God the Holy Spirit, and we worship you in your mystery and in your majesty. And we pray that this very morning, at this very time, we will truly honor, hallow your holy name. We pray for that work of your spirit in our hearts, and our lives uh, today, this morning, but throughout our lives. Our, our troubles in our world is because we, we go through life so much without the sense of your presence, particularly without the sense of your, your holiness. We do not love you as we are. We do not fear you as we ought. We do not trust in you as we ought. So all the more we pray that we will hallow and honor your name. We do pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look to that day that he will come. But we pray that as we wait and we wait in faith, that we will faithfully serve your kingdom. We pray that we may be found faithful whenever our Lord should come or or that you should call us uh, to uh, our home before your presence. We pray that we will be faithful in living as citizens of your kingdom above all other things. That is what will guide our hearts, guide our minds, guide our actions and our thoughts. We pray for Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church to be faithful in the service of your kingdom here in this community where you have placed us. And as we go forth and into our homes, our communities and neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools, wherever you would have us to be, we would show forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so that you would work in us not only outwardly to do your will, but inwardly to to think your very thoughts, to gladly serve you, not to have to control ourselves to serve you, but to, to gladly do what is your will, to have that cheerful heart. And we pray that you would give to us our daily bread that you would give us this morning, the daily bread of your word, the, the bread of fellowship, uh, the, the bread of, of the prayers, the fellowship of the, of the songs that we sing, that you would feed us even as we are seeking to worship you. We pray for healing for those in our midst who have experienced uh, broken bones, accidents. We lift up our pastor, uh, Jeff, and pray for his full healing this week. 
that he will be able to return to the pulpit next week. We pray, our Father, that you would uh, forgive us of our debts, that you would give us your spirit, which is that to be willing to forgive our enemies and to show mercy to those who, would, who, who hate us. We pray that we would be willing to live and pay the sacrifice that is needed to forgive the debts of others. We pray that we not be led into temptation. You know our weaknesses. We pray that you would protect us. So many times you have that we are completely unaware of. Continue to pray for your Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to cause us to grow in holiness. Deliver us from the evil one. And we make this prayer because we acknowledge to you belongs to kingdom, that you have all of the power to carry out all of our requests, and that all is to be for your glory forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. To be free from the burden of sin there's power in the blood power in the blood would you or evil a victory win there's wonderful power in the blood there is power there is power wonder working power in the blood in the blood of the lamb there is power there is power wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb would you be free from your passion and pride there's power in the blood power in the blood Come for a cleansing to Calgary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in his life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. 
There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. In the precious blood of the wonder-working power. Also, have not heard music like that as well since we've been gone. That was great. You know, when I when I first came here and I I couldn't figure out what was wrong, what was different. It looked so bare here, and and it finally occurred to me. You know, last time I was here, we had all those microphones, and and it's great to see the sanctuary getting back to the way it used to be, and you're actually pastoring the offering and doing the the register, so that's, um, it's great to see things starting to return uh, to normal. I am a, I, I, I do have to admonish you a little bit, though, that um, I can't, uh, I mean, I, I was just gone one month before you wore out the, uh, the new pastor, so you gotta, <laughs> you need to go easier on him, okay. Well, the, the title of the, the message is The Peaceful Life, and I was thinking, well, if you want to know how to have a peaceful life, you move to Lake Oconee, don't you? It's such a wonderful place. Ginger, when we were driving back in, said, how do you feel? You know, and it's just, feel great. It's just peace once you, once you get off of the interstate and start driving in. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs 16. We're going to look at verses 31 to 33. And use your Bibles. You'll find it as an insert in your bulletin. It's an interesting selection of Proverbs. I mean, we're told that gray hair is a glorious crown. We're told that patience is more effective, or in a sense is stronger than strength. And that an act of chance, well, that's a sure thing that it is of God. Now, what I hope you will attain from these lessons is, what is the solution to a peaceful life? So let's take a look at verse 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a, right li- in a righteous life. Let's repeat that. Gray hair is a crown of glory. I like that, you know? You know, similar, there's another proverb like this. It's Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of young men is, of young men is their strength, but the splendor of an old man is their gray hair. Now, we take the opposite view of gray hair, don't we, in our modern life. We think it's gained through a trying life. You kids are enough 
to give me gray hair. Well, I didn't have gray hair until I took this job. And we, we envy the man and the woman who's, who's able to enter into middle age and without the gray hairs. I mean, my, you know, my, my hair turned gray, I think, when I turned about 40. You know, ginger really till into late 50s, finally, shows one strand of hair. And we, we envy folks like that. And so if Solomon here, who's writing these Proverbs, if he's trying to lure us into living a righteous life, well, promising us that gray hair will be our great crown, he would have needed a better marketing tool than that, certainly a better advertisement. But this proverb comes out of a culture that actually honored old age. Indeed, there's a law, Leviticus 19.32, it commanded respect. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. So in general, the older the person in that culture, anyhow, the more respect he or she was given for possessing wisdom. It was the, the elders, the older folks of the Jewish society who were the authorities and the judges and so that term that originally was just referring to old age, calling them elders, took on the added meaning of being a leader, particularly thinking of a leader who is wise. Now, the Proverbs that's already been quoted, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men uh, is their gray hair. It's not exalting the hair color. What it is exalting is wisdom. Young men, well, they may have strength. We're seeing that take place in the Olympics. But old men and women, supposedly what we have is wisdom. Now, though the biblical writers, they honored old age, they were also realistic about it. Psalm 71 is written by someone. It's a psalm about old age, someone who's entered into it. And his problem is this. Now that he's old and he's no longer strong, his enemies, others are trying to take advantage of him. And so he prays to God to be his protector. Here are a couple of verses. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. Now as, well as some of you know, I haven't gotten to that point yet. Old age literally has its aches and pains. Okay. But perhaps the most unsettling factor of growing old is growing weaker. And you're unable to protect or provide for oneself as, as you once were able to. But even so, old age, we're being told here, is to be valued by those who attain it because, and this is the essential element, because of living a righteous life. Now, gray hair, again, is not the proverb's focus. It's being a righteous person, a person who is morally good, who treats other people justly, who is devoted to God. And so a long, productive life is often the reward for such persons, and their gray hair serves as evidence of that. So God rewards a good life with length of life, 
But also to the point here is that living a righteous life avoids the pitfalls well, of a wicked and a particularly of a foolish life so that one is able to live out one's days. I mean, all of us, us gray hairs anyhow, we can think of men and women who died young because of their foolish ways. Many of our rock stars are no longer with us because of their foolish ways. We can think of friends we grew up with who are not with us because of poor decisions about lifestyles, about ways to pursue pleasure. And Proverbs 16.25 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And we have seen how that has been borne out in the lives of those who have died young. Now let's go on to the next proverb, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now this is an important principle to learn, and the, the ones who have learned it, not only the righteous but even the wicked, they have achieved great success in life. Again, even the wicked know the truth of this proverb, Anger is a powerful passion. Anger can increase strength. It can give an individual the, the power to accomplish more than was expected. And often, I guess uh, Lou Tepper can bear this out, when a couple of football teams are preparing to, to, to play each other, sometimes the coaches or leaders on the team, they'll find ways to make their players upset with the opposing team. Maybe they'll post articles uh, with sayings from the other team, bad-mouthing them. They say, are you going to let them get away with that? They want their team fired up. Coaches also know that oftentimes that strategy backfires because often, more often indeed, anger leads to defeat rather than victory. Smart coaches, smart competitors, they know this. They know that anger can increase strength, but it can also cloud thinking. And oftentimes they want an angry. That's why, that's why they'll goad the other team. Or a player will goad another player. Get him angry because he, he won't think straight. I remember a basketball team was a, was a high school team of, some, of talented players. But they, all, but they struggle because of the inability of the players, of most of the players, to handle anger. The most talented member often had sit on the bench because, you know, she would get fouled and, and then she, that would make her angry and she would foul back and then she had to be sitting on the bench. The other, probably second best player, you know, best ball handler, ball might get stolen from her or something and then she would, she would just sulk. She would just stand there and sulk while the other team's going down there and scoring the basket. There was another player who would get knocked down, perhaps have the ball stolen, but she would immediately bounce back up, and she'd keep playing aggressively. In fact, what she would do, she would take advantage of the opposing players. She'd get them angry with her aggressive playing. She didn't need anger for motivation. She had to simply keep focused, keep focus on her goal. And it's the one who keeps focused, the one who remains patient, who perseveres, that's the one who's going to win the victory, and not only win it, but keep that victory. 
And that's the point of the second half of the proverb. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, many individuals, they've won victories in sports or business or military only to lose what they have gained. And their anger may have gotten them a burst of energy to win that particular uh, battle or, or play or whatever, but they did not have the wisdom to know what to do once they had won it. You know, this essential to military success. It's, it's knowing one's limits and not overstretching. An army, you know, this can win too much territory too quickly and then expose itself to counterattack. And besides leading one to fail because, you know, you're just not thinking straight, you're also needlessly creating opposition that causes further difficulties. People who normally would have been supported, they'll draw back. They'll even become opponents. A leader may have devoted followers who then witness and go into a rage, particularly against them, and then they, they abandon them. Or there might be a store clerk all ready to help a customer, and that customer comes in venting his frustration, and then now the, the clerk becomes cold, unhelpful. People who normally would give a person a benefit of a doubt, when that person becomes angry, they're not going to give them any break. They don't want to be exposed to that kind of anger. Now, anger can be helpful. It can even be the right emotion to have, depending on the circumstance. I mean, our Lord Jesus Christ got angry. He got angry there in the temple, didn't he? But the key to all of this is that we have to control our anger to make it useful rather than letting that anger control us. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time it's the anger that controls us. Now again, it's time to be angry. We ought to be angry at injustice. Sometimes it takes anger just to get us to do something that normally we would have been afraid to do or we've been indifferent about. But even then, the anger needs to be harnessed. It needs to be controlled by our wisdom. And that's a difficult thing to do. So again, it's good to be those who are slow to anger in the first place, not quick to it. Now let's go to the third proverb, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, casting the lot is, you know, it's the same thing as flipping a coin or choosing straws. And it's an odd activity when you think about it. A chance act is used not only to make a decision, but here to determine the will of the divine. You know, I went through the scriptures to see wherever it spoke of casting lots. King David, that's how he organized the work of the temple priest. He just used that method. The priest Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. The only reason he was in that temple was that finally, after long years, the lot happened to fall for him to do that. It was by casting lots that Joshua discovered whose sin led the Israelites' defeat in battle. It was by casting lot that the Israelites learned that Saul was to be their king. And the high priest carried around the Urim and the Thummim 
who, that which apparently were lots that were cast to decide whatever it is that they needed to know what the Lord's decision was. It was by casting lots that the sailors singled out Jonah. He was the guilty one that was bringing on that storm. The last mention of casting lots is in Acts chapter 1, where the 11 disciples are trying to understand who should be the 12th disciple to replace Judas. Now again, it seems like a precarious method, particularly of determining God's will. And you would think, I mean, a book like Proverbs, Proverbs should be disapproving of that method because, I mean, what is Proverbs about? It's about wisdom, attaining knowledge, uh, seeking good counsel. And casting lots, I mean, it seems, I mean, that's diametrically opposed to those kinds of things. Here you are, depending upon a chance roll of the dice to, to settle difficult issues. You know, what if the story had been, you know, the, the, the two women who came before Solomon, you know, about whose, whose baby does it belong to? I mean, Solomon didn't say, well, let me just uh, cast some lots here. He used wisdom to figure that out. Now, actually, Proverbs does not instruct us to turn to the casting of lots, at least not as a normal means of making decisions. There's only one other time that Proverbs mentions the subject. It's in uh, 1818. And it says there that the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. So the, in this case, that proverb seems to be using lots or referring to it in the same way that we'll do today. When there's no clear reason why to choose one side over the other, well, flip a coin. I don't know. You know, parents may do this to determine when the children are are arguing about who gets to sit in the passenger seat with the window seat or whatever. You're just going, okay, we're going to flip a coin and decide it. Or uh, who's going to get the ball first in a game? Or the game ends in a tie. We're going to go and do who gets the ball first? Flip a coin. And it's amazing, isn't it, how well such a method will work. I mean, you know, two sides are quarreling, they're arguing, and... Flip the coin, and the other side might be disappointed they lost, but takes care of it. The arguing stops immediately. Now here's, though, is the point that I think our proverb is making about lots. It's simply this. Whatever the lot may be, we should take the outcome as being the Lord's will for us. And that lot may be a coin, might be a straw. It might be a decision that's been made after arduous study, a decision made after seeking the Lord's will through prayer and, and, and counsel. Because however we arrive at a course of action, you think about this, we are in essence casting our lot. I mean, who knows whether we really have made the right decision at that time? We're sinful beings. We're limited in our ability to reason well and certainly without prejudice. And even if we take a rational course based on the facts at, at hand, well, who knows the future? You know, who knows when lightning will strike? Who knows when a terrorist will strike? Who can anticipate 
every possible consequence of every decision. And so every day, every conscious, every unconscious decision is a casting of the lots before the Lord. And what our proverb is telling us is this, take comfort. Know that whatever takes place ultimately is in the hand of the Lord. And the wise understand this. Indeed, the reason why they become wise is that they learn from everything that happens to them, understanding that this is coming to them from the Lord. They see a purpose. Even if the only purpose is to teach them some bad things can happen. But more to the point is this, is that we're to take every decision that has impacted our lives as God's will for us. Even when decisions occurred from our our sin, and our foolishness. We're to then, whatever takes place, we're to learn from it, we're to grow, we're to ourselves bring forth good from this, from the lots cast for us and the lots that were cast by us. Now, as I've noted, I've titled this sermon, The Peaceful Life. Now, Now, by the way, I'm pulling from a a sermon that I wrote 18 years ago. And um, before I, I always, back then, I I didn't know. This is why, by the way, Yvonne liked me so much, is I would select my titles two or three weeks in advance. And and she loved that. But uh, oftentimes, as I then got really working on the sermon, I'd have to say, we got to change that sermon title. I got it wrong. But I remember this time thinking, I got it right this time. Because it's those, those who have arrived at old age and who are peaceful are those who have learned and practiced the lessons of these Proverbs. Let's think back about this again. To live the righteous life, well, if you live a righteous life, you're freed of a lot of guilt that plagues many people. People who've had to carry in their minds the hurt that they have caused in their lives. You look back at the shattered marriages, the the broken families, the the shattered dreams of others that they caused because of their own mean-spiritedness. Or they look back at the shame of immorality and of of the years of rebellion against their Lord. Living a righteous life is a life with fewer regrets and a more peaceful life. Now, one may experience great trials. You're not immune from trials. But it's one thing to suffer because of trials. It's another to suffer because of trials, the one brought on themselves by their foolishness and their immorality, and particularly that they brought on other people. And so those who continue to live righteous lives into their old age, furthermore, they continue to live peacefully now. Because of that, again, of what that living brings. Such people sleep well at night with a clear conscience. And as Proverbs teaches many times, such a life causes things to continually, causes good things to continually happen. Now, we ought to certainly see the connection between controlling one's anger and peace. It's a person most capable of controlling their anger that that kind of control is going to lead to them having a peaceful life. And contrary to popular belief, 
that belief that venting one's anger, that's what releases stress. What truly releases stress is learning to be at peace, to be at peace with others, to be at peace with oneself, most of all, to be at peace with God. And so we ask the question, well, how does one obtain such peace? Well, there are two factors that make the difference, I think. And one is to grasp the truth of that last proverb, which is that the circumstances of our lives, the lots in our lives, are in the hands of the Lord. When we can appreciate the meaning of this truth, what it gives to our lives, we'll have peace. And it'll take us through the most trying times. Again, we never, you gray hairs, you really know this, we never do really know what our lot will turn out to be. No matter how well we try to prepare for the future, and try to make the decisions, did we take the right job? Did we choose the right school, the right major? Did we make the right choice for marriage? Did we? I mean, the list can just go on. It can be endless. And the young person keeps worrying about how that decision is going to affect his or her future. What if I, I make the wrong turn? What if I'm locked into a dismal life? You know, my previous church had a lot, a lot of young, a lot of young men and, and women. When I say young men and women, I'm talking about in their 20s. And, and so on. And, and I, I'd have these men come to me and they're, they're pondering whether the, the girl that they're dating is the right person. How do I know? What if it's the wrong? What if, what if I get married to? As one of them said, what if someone better comes along? You know, and I, I said, I'd look, you're not the greatest deal yourself. If a woman is ready to take you, you take them, okay? But, um, but that is a concern. What if I get locked in? I've made the wrong decision, whether it's marriage, job, whatever it may be. And the gray hair ponders, how worthwhile was my life? Because it really didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. And what's tough for the gray hair is, well, it's too late <laughs> to change things. So what peace it is, isn't it, to know that the Lord makes whatever our lot is, or what it will be, or what it has been, it has had meaning. It has had purpose. And then we've got something added on, a little bit more even what, what our proverb says. We know Romans 8.28, don't we? It gives us the, the added bonus thought that whatever happens, is, it's not only in the Lord's hands, but it's going to be for our good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so what we go through is not merely this is our, our lot in life. It is our good in life. Because our Lord is what? He's using all things for our good. And what is that good? It's the greatest good of, of all. It's being conformed to the likeness of his son. And so peace comes from knowing that everything that happens to us, everything lies in the hands of our good God, who is working all things 
for our ultimate good. And so resting in that kind of knowledge, that all decisions, all actions rest in God's providence, that provides peace. But there's another knowledge. There's another factor that's even more important. And that is to know a redemption that also rests in God's hands. Now let's be realistic. There is no one righteous. No one perfectly righteous. I mean, the best are guilty, as Scripture makes clear, of breaking every commandment. Everyone has left a trail of mistakes, failures, and pain. And none of us can stand before our maker and give an adequate account of our lives. I mean, you know, we like to say, well, hey, we did the best we could. But even that is not true. We know that. I mean, more accurate is, well, we did the best we could without yielding ourselves fully to God. We did the best we could while we kept our priorities for ourselves. That was what mattered most to us. And what we need is redemption. And what we need is for our maker to forgive us. What we need is for our maker to be at peace with us. And so old age is truly gained in the righteous life of Christ that then is exchanged for our sinful life. And that will lead to a, a, a wonderful old age, an age that is eternal a life that is in glory. And that kind of life is a life that we can have now that is a life of peace. I mean, isn't that true? Is it not peace to know that you will never perish? That you will never be cast away from God? That you are in your Father's hands? Is it not peace to be able to say what what the Apostle Paul said. Let me finish up that part in in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangerous sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that kind of knowledge is what brings a peaceful life. That kind of knowledge is offered to any who would call upon our Lord Jesus Christ to know that our God has us and that he will hold us fast through whatever we go through in life. We give you praise, our God, for such peace that we 
may have. The peace that comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ because of our Lord Jesus Christ who will never let us go. Pray our Father to keep us aware of that each each and every day throughout the day. We, whatever comes our way, whatever lot that is ours in any given day or any moment, that we are in our Father's hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. He will hold me fast. <laughs>